Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello, and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today, I'm here with Blake Hutch- Hutchinson. Blake is the CEO of Flippa, and the large, uh, which is the largest marketplace to buy and sell online businesses. Flippa empowers individuals and companies to take control, take ownership, and thrive in this new small business economy. Welcome, Blake, and thank you for having you on the show. It's funny as I have a really good friend whose last name is Hutchison. Yeah, I wouldn't worry, Ron. Thank you so much for having me. Everyone gets my name wrong. Uh, most people will put an N in the middle or even leave off the last uh, couple of letters. I think that's what I did. I think I threw an N in the middle, in the middle. I think I said Hutchinson. Yeah, that's so, right. That's very common. Yeah, that's okay. People call me skeleton all the time, and I just smile and nod and like, you know, uh, I haven't <laughs> been that skinny in a long, long time. Um Thank you for being here. Uh, everybody kind of probably knows who you are. You're the CEO of Flippa and, and, and all of us in the acquisition entrepreneur space. We crawl through there on a regular basis. Um, let's just start with your kind of your origin story. Um, how did you, you know, how did you go from a little boy in Australia of all places, which I think it's 1030, 11 o'clock your time there? Yeah, that's right. How did you go from a little boy in Australia growing up there and, and uh, moving around to ended up on a mergers and acquisitions show? Yeah, it's, uh, that's a super interesting question. I often ask myself that, um, how did I end up becoming the CEO of Flipper? But, you know, ultimately, we all find mysterious ways to find our path, don't we, to, to where we end up. And for me, it was um, very much just about exploring different business development or growth roles in different technology companies to the extent that I found myself often working for founders and helping them out with growth. And so I did that across the US, um, across multiple businesses, startups and more established companies. I've done that in Australia with cloud accounting software companies and online travel businesses. And you know how it happens. People start to sort of see you as a guy who can grow their business. And um, Flipper was just that. So it wasn't necessarily that I, I targeted M&A or I targeted small business acquisitions or online business marketplaces. It was more that um, I was recognized as being someone who could could grow a business with a big vision and and as a result found myself in the space. And I, and I must say it's interesting because I've always empathized with small business owners because I was one. Um, I had my own online business and ultimately I, I wasn't successful in my endeavor, but I tried to sell that on Flipper. And so when I was tapped on the shoulder to have a look at the Flipper marketplace and to grow it into what it is today... I obviously knew what it was because I was a customer and, and sometimes that counts for a lot. It's interesting how I got into this space as I hired, I was in the real estate space and doing a real estate investment group and I hired a performance coach. And, you know, after a few sessions, he's like, man, you really should be playing a bigger game. And uh, I would close the house or find, you know, we, we would do a deal or something. I close the house and the wire transfer would be nice for our, for our little business. Right. It'd be I think the biggest one was like 40 something thousand, $44,000. In the back of my head, I still had that performance scope, but you should be playing a bigger game. Yeah. And I used to, before Flippa was around, I used the Flip websites. I used to, I, I was a domainer. I had, you know, I didn't know, just say I had a big enough account at GoDaddy. I had a personal assistant that worked at GoDaddy for me, right? Wow. I could call him day or night. I had my own personal account, account in there. I was, you know, stroking 30 or $40,000 worth of uh, domain renewal checks a year to them. 
And, uh, but I would buy websites, fix them up and sell them. And before Flippa came around, we used to use like warrior forums, like these forums, uh, yeah. um, uh, chat, chat online, you know, uh, browser based chat groups or whatever. And we would post our stuff and some kids got on there and basically they falsified uh, a couple of deals that I had bought. And uh, it was just real. I realized it's just so easy to fake financials and that type of stuff that I, I stopped doing it and went and did something else. And I see on here, you guys do a lot of work towards checking things and checking traffic and verifying that stuff. It, it took a lot of the risk out of that. Um, tell me a little bit about Flippa and, you know, kind of the, the product evolution. Like I'm sure when you got on here, not, I mean, I, I, even since I've started looking at it again, I just noticed stuff today that you got services in here. I never knew you did due diligence, legal and all that. So what is that kind yeah. of, progression you guys well, are going through part of, part of the evolution is as a result of some of the things that you've just gone through right it's it's easy to to fake things and it's um it's an industry which is so new to so many people that you've got to make sure that you build safety into your marketplace first and foremost and that's not that different to other marketplaces right like airbnb or an ebay or an uber where you're always striving to ensure that they're they're trusted that they're um places of integrity and that you can um, get business done with each other or get a transaction done with each other in a safe and secure manner. And so um, Flip has worked really, really hard on that. And so there's a couple of things that um, that we do in the product which, which are really close to our heart and critical. One relates to our human-based verification team. So we've got a team of 12 who all they do all day, every day is verify assets. So they look at revenue data, they look at operational data, um, they look at the history of the individual. Um, they map that individual to other assets that they've historically owned and make sure that it's all credible. And then we also have what we call our verification at the source product, which is nine different technology platforms which are connected to Flipper that you can connect to to expose your data. And that's been a great evolution of our platform over the last three years. And we're busily building the next suite of integrations to make that even easier. And of course, it helps both parties, right? Because, you know, we're doing it for um, trust and integrity and helping buyers assess a deal. But it also helps with sellers because most sellers have no idea how to sell a business. Um, most small business owners are busily running a business, growing a business, and we've got to make their job really easy. So one of the benefits of connecting to something like uh, a Stripe or a Shopify or a WooCommerce or a Google Analytics is that Flipper understands the metrics that matter in any given business model. And that's how we derive valuations and price guidance and things like that. So if we can make that available to you, it tends to be easier to list. Some of the other features and services, you've alluded to them. So we now have a due diligence team. You can tap into that team anytime you want. Um, it is a fee for service. So um, it's a team of um, accountants and analysts who are on hand, um, typically used for bigger deals, typically used for 100K plus deals, all the way up to sort of $50 million deals less common in, in cheaper stuff, um, but it's there for people to use. Um, we've also got legal. So we've got embedded letters of intent, just making that that friction that is usually part of M&A um, and, and out of reach for so many people, we make it more palatable and, and, and easier to use. You know, it's interesting, the process, like I look at a lot of brick and mortar companies and... Uh, 
the process, you have to train the user or the seller on the process. You know, and a lot of times you're talking to them. If they're not represented by a broker, you ask questions like, well, do you want to sign an NDA? And they're like, well, what's, what is that? And you have to explain what it is. And once you explain what it is, like, yeah, we probably ought to have one. And then you send yours over, right? I like that a lot of that is just built in. Like I, I, was, I was just telling you before the show started is I hadn't looked on the site in a while. And uh, I had made an offer off of your site a while back and somebody just beat me to it a day or two beforehand. It actually happened to be a business I know. It's the weirdest thing. I searched one day on here for a real estate related business. And I kind of looked at it like, I know that website. I know those people. So uh, I want it. So I talked to her and somebody got it right before I did. But, uh, you know, I, I was looking at another listing on here and I go to click on it. It's like, click here to do your NDA. And I was thinking, you know, normally that, you know, in the, in the process I normally go through, we've had a conversation, we've got the basics. I know I like this guy. He's easy to, you know, to work with. He knows he likes me. And then I say, suggest, mm -hmm. do you think we need an, you know, a non-disclosure? Would that make you feel more comfortable? And you then know, after explaining what it is, I send them mine over, which is very yeah. generic. You know, it protects them, protects me. And, uh, and we go forward. Um, I see a lot of that process by having it online. It streamlines that, right? I mean, um, it looks like yeah. you go, there's even a whole section in there, how to sell a business. So you guys have taken a lot of that process and integrated it into something that people can do a step-by-step. -step. Yeah, that's right. And it's a really important piece because um, a lot of people don't necessarily know what a non-disclosure agreement is for. What are you actually protecting, right? So if you expose your financial data... That's not necessarily confidential information. It's that the, the financial data is inextricably connected to the business and the business name. Then, then it starts to become confidential. You, you want to just give small business owners choice. So at the moment, when you list on Flipper, you can choose to either sell yourself or list with a broker. So that's flexibility and choice. You can protect your listing by way of a non-disclosure agreement or not. And you can also choose um, for assets valued in excess of $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars. You can also choose to only talk with people who have got a verified funds balance. So we'll actually plug into their bank account using Plaid and check that they have the capacity to pay. And so it's just about giving sellers choice around the protective measures that they think they want to take. It's not necessarily the, the right thing necessarily to do, but you want to give them the choice. So um, what's the largest deal that you know has closed on Flippa? Um, up to about $40 million. Last month, there was $35 million app sale. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, certainly some bigger deals happen on Flippa. Um, you know, biggest deal would be around $40 million, but most recent big deal was $35 million. So that's a pretty good range. So I see things on here for just a you know, few thousand maybe even less I, i'm not i'm just scrolling through but uh all the way up to you know their bigger deals now is that is that just recently like in the last couple of years you got some really big deals or has that been peppered throughout the whole process yeah i mean flip has always um i guess been recognized for smaller deals but interestingly enough there's always been bigger deals in there it's just that you know they've been fewer than there have smaller deals available and that's just because remember flippers not a broker we have over 35 third-party brokers operating on our platform but as a marketplace we have the benefit of scale and so we are price agnostic you can sell for something as you just said a couple of thousand dollars all the way 
up to something a lot bigger, tens of millions of dollars. And we're able to do that with our platform, whereas a broker couldn't necessarily do it, not because they're not good at it, they're amazing at it. It's just that they don't have the luxury of technology behind them that enables that to happen. Certainly more um, recently, we've seen lots of bigger deals, and I'm talking about far more deals in excess of a million dollars happening on our platform. Is that flipper or is that the industry as a whole? It's hard to kind of say. The, the, the reality is digital businesses today are more mature, aren't they, right? So the average age of an asset on flipper now is four and a half years old, whereas you know, flipper started 13 years ago. We were way before our time. 13 years ago, when you're trying to sell a website, there's actually very few established websites globally. Um, you know, there's clearly some unicorns and <laughs> a few that came out of the dot-com um, bust and boom and then bust, but um, most sites would be small. Whereas today, you know, a $10 million website, it's actually not not that hard to imagine. Yeah, we we were we were picking up websites that kind of look like '80s websites and turned them into websites that look like '90s websites, right? Because now they they didn't yeah, have all the stuff we have now. There's still some of those available. It's great when we see them come <laughs> on Flipper. We we love them actually because they they're so um, they're so dated from a UI standpoint, but they're beautifully optimized from a revenue standpoint. Um, they've learned how to optimize every every page view so so well over so long. Um, and, and good buyers can can sniff those out and they'll quickly optimize them. A few few additional ads on any given page, a better design, better user experience, and away they go. I wouldn't even begin to know, understand what's out there now. I remember putting on cool little things like click path analysis and you know different types of analytics. And now when I get into my Google Analytics, it just does a lot of the stuff that we had to put very specialized tools into the websites to make work. It just does it. So uh, um, yeah, it's changed a lot. Tell me we see some really cool businesses, Ron, come on our platform. We had a, a business um, from Queens, New York, that was a shop front selling arts and crafts 60 years ago. And back in the 90s converted to, um, sorry, in the early 2000s, uh, moved to digital just with a brochure website. And then um, around 2010 became e-commerce and, and actually stopped their brick and mortar family business out of Queens and moved to digital exclusively. And so it's quite incredible when you see those stories of, you know, businesses that are generational. Yeah, that's kind of in the realm I'd like to be in. I think I'm looking for the brick and mortar that you turn into a software company that I can, uh, or bring into that software company spectrum and make enough of a software company that we use their multiples, right? So there's yeah. a, uh, if you take a brick and mortar company, and uh, typically you can buy those at anywhere, depending on how well they're performing, uh, between 1x, which is really low, to about 3, 3.5x three their, their profits, right? And you take that online, make it a website, turn it into an e-commerce store, and it's not un unheard of to get, you know, two, three times that, four times that, ten times that. I've seen yes. some, some stuff on some of these websites where they're like, I think they're insane. They're like they want most of yours are pretty reasonable. Two point five, two point nine. I'm looking at the different multiples they're asking for. Here's a five two, yeah. but uh, I've seen some of these websites where they're asking for a fifteen multiple or something. You're like, that's right. <laughs> you know, yeah. software as a service is kind of like that. Now the industry's going through a little bit of a shakeup. Have you seen Stories. much of that uh, as far as like you know? I, I, there's a lot of stuff in the news in the last seven to ten days that's on right. you know tech taking a hit yeah it's it that's a great question and 
I don't know the answer. I'm wondering it myself. And so, you know, there's a couple of things that could play out here. One, buyers. So, so small business is a little bit different, right? Um, you, you're not getting the heady multiples that a fast growth tech business gets because the scale opportunity isn't there. Um, they typically don't have the, the track record of, um, you know, year on year on year um, triple digit growth. So there's lots of different things about the DNA of small business, which is different to public market multiples and even startup multiples. But regardless, um, I have one where the buyers kind of, buyers tend to be more sophisticated than sellers. They've got a history of doing this. And I wonder whether they use the public market's news and knowledge as a means to compress valuations, even of small businesses, whether it's warranted or not. Um, right. Because they'll have the knowledge, whereas as an, an online business owner selling their e-commerce business that they've been running you know, hard for the last three to five years may not have that understanding of of the public markets. Um, I don't actually think the value of a small business changes through a recession, frankly. I think that um, people will continue to read content, therefore blogs will still have relevance and there'll always be advertisers. While some may not be as cashed up as they may have been historically, they'll be get substituted with whoever's having a good time of it. And in any given recession, there, there tends to be someone who's who comes from behind and, and starts to excel while the, those at the top start to compress a little bit. I, I just don't know, Ron. I, it's, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, clearly there's blood on the streets right now. Um, the last 24 hours was, was a really sad um, day and uh, there's no doubt more to come. But I just don't think small business tends to be resilient um, and it tends to be immune from some of these things. You guys, Flippa might actually benefit in one way. If you look at what's going on, a lot of times what that scares is the venture capitalists so and the angel investors. They start looking for a little more secure places to put their money. And when they take it off the market or they take it off the uh, VC table or the angel investment table, the funding for some of these little startups dries up and they have a choice. Either they come out of pocket and start asking friends and family again, or they put it up for the market and sell it at what it's currently worth. So I think a lot of stuff will come on the market just because, you know, they're what they're trained to reach out to and get as a source of funds is going to dry up for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying there's not more money out there. There's crazy money out there. I've just, I, to have small business owners change their conversation of not only who they're uh, or what they're asking for, but who they're asking it from. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. less likely of a path they'll take than it is like, Oh no, we, we don't, our, yeah. our, our funding guys left. We need to sell. So there, mm. I would be surprised if there's not a lot of listings uh, in that startup yeah. phase. So, they, so what a lot of companies do on Flipper, and I'm talking about the buyers right now, what a lot of companies do on Flipper is, is their strategy is to grow inorganically, right? So you pay Facebook, you pay Google, you run the SEO play, you hire salespeople. All these types of things are, are tactical. They're tough to get mass scale from and they're expensive, right? Yeah. You, can acquire, you can acquire a small business on Flipper and you can actually get inorganic growth. You know, you pay, as you just said before, two and a half times, maybe up to five times multiple, but you're acquiring customers who are engaged in the niche or the category that you are interested in. 
you're adding revenue to your bottom line, but you're also adding customer acquisition on day day zero, um, which is what most companies look to do on Flipper. And I imagine more companies will look to do that now that there's, there's, there's um, some pressure as to where that money can can land. So somebody asked me the other day, are you going to change strategies now that the market's crashing? I'm like, no, everything's going on sale, right? You know, now's when a great time for us to look around. Everything, you know, everything, things will pop up for sale that wouldn't be for sale before. And the things that are already, if somebody's trying to retire and they, and they've, they, they feel a little more pressure, I think more things will close during a down economy than during a, a steady or inclined economy, just because the, uh, the fear of uncertainty, right? Mm-hmm. The business owner sitting on this right now doesn't know what the economies look like. It looks like it's getting worse. You know, they're thinking they want to close now before it gets much worse. Yeah. Um, to whereas everything's steadily and climbing up at the last second, if they get that, you know, seller's remorse where they, they don't want to uh, like sell at the last second because they don't know what they're going to do next. And if the economy is going great and it's like, you know, I'll sell more for, I'm going to do it one more year. I'll sell, I'll, it'll sell for more next year. So yeah, it's a good point. It's yeah. a good point. Um, yeah, we may see some supply come to the platform. It's always an interesting question we get around, you know, do you have more buyers or sellers? And um, there are so many buyers, it is unbelievable. There is a lot of dry powder out there. There is, absolutely. Uh, it shows right now you have over 6,000 listings, though. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll admit I probably need to crawl through here more often. I was just uh, you know prepping for your show. I was looking through here. I was telling you earlier, like, wait a second, there's a podcast company on here that uh, does podcast guest uh they acquire guests for podcasts, but uh, yeah. you know, if I, I would be, that would be a good idea to monetize that. So I'm going to reach out and talk to those guys. But if you think about it, you know, I have a production crew and I have a crew that goes out and introduces me to people I want on the show. What if I hired a production company that's already making revenue and I hire a, a, you know, a guest getting service that's already, you know, got revenue. Now I've monetized that. My people go work at those, you know, at, you know, with those teams and help train them to do it the way I want it done. Yeah. And uh, now I've got a revenue generating source that was, you know, something I spent a lot of money to maintain. So yeah, I'm sure other, uh, I, I bet you get a lot of entrepreneurs that way. I think if people crawl through here, if you're an acquisition entrepreneur and you're not crawling through Flippa, uh, like myself, probably mistaken because there's a lot of stuff here that would bolt on, um, you know, onto almost any industry. At 6,000 listings, I, I'd be amazed if I didn't find something. I bet if I, I'm, I'm looking at coffee roasters right now. I bet if I search your website right now for coffee, <laughs> I bet I find blogs or something. Yeah, coffee. you know what? So, so I hope you do, but co- coffee and food blogs um, and related businesses go very quickly. And um, I think it's just because it's an evergreen niche, right? You know, coffee's never going anywhere. So you see a, you, you see a good performing coffee blog, um, people snap them up quickly. There are 22 results uh, in the <laughs> one of my uh, in the uh, with the keyword coffee. So there there are things to look through through on here. So one of the things I always like to ask is, you know, there's a lot of things going on in every industry. What are the myths around buying or selling digital products such as websites, blogs, and apps that you know are out there if you just wish were gone? Yeah, I mean, I guess the the, the biggest myth is that it's passive. And, um, you know, there's almost no endeavor in the world that's truly passive. Uh, and and digital, digital can come across to the layman as being more passive than it really is. So I, I would say that's a big significant myth. 
And I encourage first-timers who are listening to us today and saying, oh, gee, I've never heard of Flipper, but I better go there right now and place, buy something. You know, you, you want to take the time out to learn and spend time defining the business model that you think you're most interested in and good at um, because it isn't passive. You've actually got to put in the time and the labour to ensure that it runs just as well as it has historically. They call that period of time. So the the... The sort of 120 days post-acquisition they call stabilising the patient. And so it's actually not passive at all. You've got to put the effort in to ensure that it continues to run the way it was. That would be myth number one. Um, I guess myth number number two would be that, um, you know, you have to buy within your own geography because there's scams everywhere else. Um, and it's just not the case. You know, check out the verified data sources on any given listing, obviously conduct your due diligence, use a third-party due diligence service or use Flipper's due diligence. I don't really mind which one you use. Um, but the reality is there are great digital assets from all over the world. Um, and we see American customers of which, you know, it is our biggest customer base. 50% of all Flipper activity happens in the US. Um, but savvy American buyers are buying inexpensive Southeast Asian assets and inexpensive Latin American assets um, and inexpensive Central Asian assets. So um, take a look at the rest of the world because there's a lot of great digital businesses that you can leverage from home, staying right put where you are um, while getting a good return from. So that might be myth number two. I'm not sure I can come up with a third. <laughs> That's okay. The um, if you If you look at... You know, one of the things that a lot of these acquisition entrepreneurs do is they take a, a company like a brick and mortar company and, uh, you know, they take them online. And I, I would venture to say that it's, you know, a lot of the gurus and a lot of guys teaching this, you know, the acquisition entrepreneur space, they refer to bolt on. I would mm -hmm. say it's almost easier to find a bolt on software company that have built a, a, a site and a product in your in your space, talking to the same customers, they have customers already and have yeah. them, you know, update it or make it work with what you've got going on as opposed to just going out and hiring a production crew and, and doing it from scratch. Yeah, that's right. And I, I agree with that, Ron. And the only one of the things I would add to that as well is often you can actually optimize and get return quite quickly because um, interestingly enough, the people who list their websites on Flipper, on average, they own four sites. So they're actually quite, um, their, their knowledge and their, their their labor is distributed. So if you buy a website and put a bit of time and effort into it, you can actually get pretty quick returns because you spend the time and effort to, to make it right. So if you own a tattoo parlor, right? Don't ask me why I thought of that. <laughs> so you own, a, you own a tattoo parlor and there was an asset um, that was available on Flipper and it was called Tattooing 101. And it was all about how to tattoo and there was a bunch of different artworks and all those types of things, a whole heap of experts commenting on, on that occupation, that vocation. And I know for a fact that that business was bought for five figures and then sold for seven figures two and a half years later. And so you can get serious returns when you find something which has been around for a little bit, has good authority in the eyes of Google, um, put a bit of put a bit of effort into a redesign, um, and you'll you know you'll prove yourself as an acquisition entrepreneur. 
Sounds like a brilliant way to start too. A lot of these guys that I talk to, uh, you know, it's interesting. They, they, they take a course or whatever. And when you sit down with them and figure out what they've done in the past, they've only ever had a job and they're taking courses on how to buy companies with revenues of 1 million to 20 million, having never owned the responsibility of a PL. And first thing I tell them is get your hands on something smaller for a little bit, run it, yeah. you yeah. know, and there's, there's mixed signals on that. You know, the gurus that say, no, no, no. Yeah. You're buying yourself another job. When you buy something small, you really want to buy something big enough to where you can pay and hire people to know all that stuff that you don't know. But there's something to be said about knowing enough to have your own BS meter. And maybe that's internal for me. I, I really, I study a lot of things occasionally just so I, know enough about it to know what I want. Like I'll study when I, you know, in the real estate space, I, I probably knew more stuff about real estate law than my real estate attorney uh, over the years I did it. I'm doing the same thing in the acquisition and merger space. I study that because I, I want to know what, like what clauses and stuff I want in, in the contracts and what, you know, what should and shouldn't be in there. So when I go to another state and my, my favorite attorney can't operate in that state, and, you know, they produce, uh, I hired an attorney to produce as a document. I can read through it and go, yeah, I think you're missing X, Y, and Z. Why, why are we not yep. doing that? And yep. the same level, level of kind of a BS meter, I would say you need that in almost any business. Um, and that's just my personal preference. But I think Flippa would be a great way to start. You can come in here and find a company that's doing six figures that has, you know, I was glancing at one that says it's doing six figures with a 40, 47%. Um, profit margin. So you're going to make on that little one, if you get a hold of it, you're going to need to run it and do some work on it. But you know, you know, day one, if you run it as well as they did, you're going to make $75,000 a year and yeah. uh, on that asset. And then you can take a look at what it means to own a PL, like a profit and loss responsibilities yeah. for a company. I, I, I think that's a super important statement. Um, right now, if, if, if people want to go to my LinkedIn, I've posted a video of a gentleman and you only have to watch the first five seconds. He actually says um, he paid for business school and he also paid for a small website on Flipper. And the learning he got from running that site, uh, he believes was more effective and beneficial than his business school. Now, no doubt his tuition fees were pretty steep too. Um, so... There's, there's a lot to be said for owning and operating. You learn so much so quickly. Not only do you learn about digital, um, the digital economy and the business models that, that are driving the world today, which is really important for everyone, um, but as you just said, your, your financial aptitude increases from day one because you've got to understand your financials from day one, including a profit and loss statement. It's interesting. Uh, you, you just saved me a little bit of money, uh, had you been around the 15 years ago before I moved here, <laughs> I did that. I went to business school. I thought I was the king of the world. I have a master's degree in marketing, right? I have this MBA in marketing. I thought, well, I'm going to go out and create my own business. And I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I know marketing now. Let's do this. So I liquidated my entire 401k and a bunch of other stuff, dumped a lot of my own money. Let's just say high six figures, not quite seven figures. And you know, a few hundred grand of other investors' money and created an online dating service. And the lesson, the lesson I learned, and this is back when plenty of a fish was lying about their subscriber base and a bunch of others were faking it until they make it. 
I named my damn business honestyfirst.com because we actually created a, a solution to the uh, what they call catfishing now. I used to call it the Mr. Potato Head problem. You would yeah. like you'd see somebody online, you go meet with them, and like they kind of look like the person, but somebody moves some stuff around, right? Yeah. We created a, a mechanism that was fairly sophisticated, but pretty much was kind of the eBay five star rating with some you know better algorithms to keep people honest in their profiles. Well, I learned some very valuable lessons. Number one, nobody wants to be honest in a dating profile, right? Number two, an MBA program teaches you absolutely nothing about bootstrap marketing a company, right? Yeah. Makes you a great, if you have a $50 million budget and you work for Coca-Cola, it makes you a great employee. Yeah. But to sit down and actually just take something from zero users and to grow yeah. and scale it and turn it into yeah. a viable business my yeah. MBA gave me nothing. So I ended up going out to mentors and hiring, you know, hiring people. And uh, it, it took kind of a, a, an eye-opening event. Uh, both my parents passed away within 18 months. So I took some time off from it. And as you take time away from things, things that people said to you along the way started setting in. I, I flew around pitching VCs and stuff, this business. And nothing they said to me stuck in until after I shut it down. It's like, hey, you really don't have a business here. You have a great product. You should go pitch yeah. match and stuff, which I did later. And, you know, I won't say which one. It wasn't match. But I pitched some of them my technology about keeping people honest in profiles. And uh, they reopened my eyes like none of our users want to do that. <laughs> right. But yeah. you thought you had back, a great solution, but it just didn't match their commercial, their commercial needs, right? I might have been able to get at least one of the six figures out of because we had some users. People were starting to use it. And it just it was just. I needed funding to scale the way I was going to scale is to pick major metropolitan areas, focus my market on there, grow a following in like Dallas. Another thing about dating sites is it's a chicken and egg problem. Nobody wants to be the first lonely soul in a zip code in a dating, in a dating site. And that's why I, I joke around and said, flipping, I'm not flipping, sorry. Uh, plenty of fish, plenty of fish. And a lot of those other guys kind of faded, faked it until they made it. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of their pro first initial profiles weren't real people. And it's been proven no, since then. Sure. So, no but, doubt. Uh, I honestly, I, I, there's a, um, there's a, there's a huge opportunity out there now. And there's a, there's one or two websites out there that to kind of do what you guys do, but you, you've dominated this. You, you know, like six thousand active listings. It says here you've already closed or sold uh, two hundred sixty-five thousand. Um, you know, that's that's fairly impressive. And I bet, I bet if you look at the scale of things. You said you've been around for you know more than ten years. That's probably ramped up quite a bit because you know I'll yeah. be honest. I only remember hearing about Flip of five or six years ago. So you really started getting some traction, you know, yeah. more recently. Yeah. So I mean, you know, the numbers are reasonably impressive in the sense that um, last so quarter quarter one this calendar year there was two hundred and thirty million dollars worth of assets added to our marketplace. Um, and this quarter, we're on track for $300 million worth of assets added to the marketplace. And so we don't, you know, we we can absolutely imagine a time where there's a billion dollars worth of assets being added every quarter. Um, and and accordingly, you know, that matches up with buyers, what buyers are looking for. We, we get buyers complaining because they're like, we want more choice, right? We want more deals. Um, we have people who are, trying to buy every day. They've actually told us that they would pay us to keep lots of deals behind a walled garden. Pocket uh, um, yeah. Right? And so we have built, we built a private marketplace. So there's a, 
there's about 50 deals behind the scenes at any given time um, that are just, you know, as they come on board, they're typically really high value and we farm them out to institutional buyers who have a history of purchasing on Flipper. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great market to be in. Small business owners deserve their time in the sun and that's why we, we like to talk about ourselves in the context of, you know, we're building the investment bank for the 99%. All of the services that, that people who have been in traditional M&A have gotten access to, I'm talking about the big end of town, um, those services haven't been available to small businesses. So that's what Flipper is. That's what Flipper's building. So do you guys see any, um, I know when eBay came around and you know, anytime you get a big marketplace, you, you almost get a made for following, meaning that like when AdSense came out, there was a bunch of websites that were made for AdSense. They actually just created a website to try to monetize it with AdSense. Yeah. There's a bunch of people who they absolutely, you know, eBay came around as a marketplace to sell your stuff. And then there are people out there that hunt down stuff and sell. I'm imagining now that on Flippa, and I bet if I dig here, I can pick some of them out. That there's some websites up here that are what I would refer to as made for Flippa, meaning mm-hmm. somebody went out there, they built a website, they got it up to, they maybe ran it for a year, got a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand users on it, and they yeah. post it for sale because they love creating, you know, they love cre- the creation process and they create and sell. Do you have a lot of repeat sellers? Yeah, so we do have a lot of repeat buyers and sellers. Um, admittedly, you know, the made for you space isn't that big. And the reason being is, you know, acquisition entrepreneurship, um, expects the reason people are in that space to begin with is because they get to acquire traction. They get to acquire something where the hard yards have been done and there's an audience ready to be tapped. And so those people who are building things to be sold that are only six months old or nine months old, they don't yet have the predictability of, of the, uh, a longer duration or age asset. And so accordingly, um, they're less in demand than you would think. But uh, there are some really, really savvy operators who build really, really high quality AdSense sites. And they're there and they will state that they are repeat sellers on Flipper, that they've got a history of doing it, that they're trusted, that they've got fantastic reviews and that you can buy a site from them for five to $10,000 and you are well and truly on your way and you get a lot of benefit from their expertise. Um, so that happens. Um, what is probably even more interesting than that is you, you get um, repeat sellers of quite high value assets. So they've actually built, not necessarily for Flipper, but over a period of time, they've amassed a portfolio of sites. And so much like someone who has a good quality wine collection, they eventually go and consume that wine and get rid of it. And similarly, in this case, they've recognized that the this asset class, which we call digital real estate, valuations have crept up and the predictability and the quality of their asset over time is worth more and more. And so they start to sell those off. Um, and they do that two, three, and four times. And so I side, there's a guy in Toronto. He's an awesome operator. Um, COVID hit. He was meant to be retiring, came out of retirement. He bought nine sites. Each site's only worth, on average, fifteen to $20,000. He's maybe spent, spent a quarter of a million dollars on the platform, but he's up 200% on his invested dollar. So you do get a lot of repeat customers. This is a long way of saying they're not necessarily always just new customers, made for flipper customers. I think the cool thing that protects you on that one is 
your your buyer base tends to be more sophisticated. If you look at like eBay and the other market space, you basically just have your average, and I wouldn't you know mm-hmm. say unsophisticated, but let's just be honest, the average human is unsophisticated. So you have your average guy that will buy anything roaming through here to where the people on here are looking for a producing you know, business. Yeah. They're looking for a business, not just a website. So I think there's, I think it'll stay self-corrected so long as it appeals to sophisticated buyers. And, uh, you know, there are other template sites and other stuff people can go if they're just looking for a template or a shell. But I was just curious if you, if yeah. you guys put protection mechanisms in or anything just to keep the quality listings up higher. I noticed I can search for years. That's one of the things I like. I like well-read companies. So in some of your filters, yeah. I can turn on, like, I want some, I'll show me everything. I start off, like, show me everything that's been around for five years or more. And then, then I'll, I'll when there's, if there's not yeah. much or there's not something of real great interest, I'll look, you know, at o- other ones. But uh, yeah, it just so, says so something short. We, we have yeah. a, a marketplace integrity team that is, um, you know, ferocious in their uh, uh, reviews of websites. And, and if somebody um, has one bad transaction record, they're done. Um, we, we have a, a no tolerance policy. Um, and then in addition to that, we have, you know, what we might call internally Spidey sensors, i.e. Spider-Man sensors. And um, we've got a bunch of different technologies that are, all about protecting against, um, you know, fraud and all bad actors. So it tends to be that one, flipper's doing some hard yards, and then two, as you said, you've got a pretty sophisticated buyer base. There's three types of buyer. You've got side hustlers. They're looking to supplement their income. They're like you and I, and maybe we just want to do something on the side. Um, You've got entrepreneurs, and they want to own and operate, um, and you've got company buyers. But interestingly, even when you go down to side hustlers, their average budget, so per deal budget of a side hustler, is $17,000. So whilst that might sound inexpensive to, to, to some people, that's still a fairly sophisticated customer when they've got $17,000 in discretionary um, discretionary available for Flipper. Um, so it's a savvy buying base. I, I can see that. So <clears throat> what would be your uh, top three tips for, for buying a digital asset? If you were like, if you were to sit down one day and like, okay, I'm going to look through something here. I'd love to own and run next. What would be the the top three things that you would focus in on? Yes, yeah, so the first one would be, um, you know, decide the business model that best suits your skill set. Um, you know, if you, if if you've never even heard of what SEO, if you don't know what SEO is, don't buy a content website. Um, if you've never run a, a direct to consumer business, don't buy a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business. Um, if you think SaaS is sexy, but you don't understand the metrics that matter, you've never heard of what, you don't know how to calculate churn, you don't know what lifetime value is, you don't know what MRR means, SaaS sounds sexy to everyone and then they typically don't know how to run a SaaS business. So um, write down your skill sets. What, what, what are your skills? What have you developed over a lifetime of, of um, effort? and then match those skills up to the business model that makes the most sense. Uh, tip number two would be find something you're passionate about because, as I said, it's it's unlikely to be passive. So you've you've spent dollars. In some cases, you've spent five to company. You really want to ensure that the category or niche that you're operating in is something you're about because it'll, it'll most likely be that you're going to run that business for at least two years post-acquisition, in some cases five to ten. 
Um, so passion is a really important part. The third thing is never, like gambling, never actually spend more than you have. You want to also reserve some funds for optimization and getting the most out of the opportunity. So if something's earning $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year, and you're going to pay $120,000 for that, so you're paying a two times multiple, um, the great news is that the, the economics on that should give you a 50% annualized return. But they'll only give you a 50% annualized return if you continue to invest in the content and continue to invest in understanding the long tail keyword set that you operate within or, or whatever it might be, depending on the business model. So have some funds reserved to continue to invest in the asset that you've just acquired would be tip number three. Got it. And then what about selling? If I, if I decide I want to sell one of my online assets and I, I'm going to use Flippo, what are the top three things I should know before I, before I come visit your site? Optimize, optimize, optimize. So first and foremost, optimize revenue. Um, so if, you th- if you've got two ads per page right now, throw a third on there, see what it does. Um, if it doesn't work, clearly remove it because it's impacting the user experience. But if you've got two ads on a page and you can add a third and eke a little bit more um, out of every page view, that's going to do wonders for you when you're seeking out a sale. Um, I said optimize, optimize, optimize. So the second optimize would be the user experience itself. So if you've got a crappy design, um, optimize that. You know, Go onto Fiverr Pro, find a WordPress designer, um, find an e-commerce template designer and have them improve it. And you know, it's a bit like merchandising in a shop window when you walk past Banana Republic, you know, they've chosen those clothes for a reason. So, and the models that are wearing them. And so think about it from that context and and pay someone to optimize the look and feel because that will do wonders uh, when it's up for sale on a flipper type platform. Um, and then the third thing is get your financials in order. So the first optimize was about making more revenue. But regardless of that, the, the last optimize is about getting your financials in order. Do you know how much money you make per month? Is that easy to account for? Is it sitting in a profit and loss statement? Do you know what your OPEX looks like? Where are you spending money? We've met five and $10 million business owners who literally have no idea. Well, that's very common. Yeah, where their expenses are. And so you've got to get that in order because the first thing that a buyer says, particularly for an asset, five, $10 million worth, of which there are lots of buyers out there, is they're going to say, can I please see minimum two years, sometimes three years worth of financials? And if you don't have that, you've actually done yourself out of a good deal. So we, we certainly start asking for discounts if you don't have it, <laughs> right? It's right. you know it's I used fine. to be yeah. of the mindset, and uh, you know uh, when I first got mentored in this, and I've only been in this space for two and a half years now. Uh, when I first got into this space, or I say back into the space, when I first got back into the space. I was of the mindset it's a numbers game, right? So I was talking to many, many business owners. And if you didn't have your financials in order, you're out. If you didn't have, like if there was just a checklist of stuff I was looking for. And if you didn't have it, you're out. And I noticed for a long time, like I wasn't getting conversations moving forward because nobody had this. And then I brought a gentleman on the show one day and he's like, well, that's absolutely absurd. Why do you expect these people that have less than $5 million in revenue to have stuff? They're accidental entrepreneurs is what he called them. And I was like, well, yeah. well, that's a great phrase, accidental entrepreneur. And I said, what is, in your words, what does it mean? And he was like, well, they knew how to create a, a great widget. A friend asked him for one, so they sold it to him. 
yeah. then somebody else had wanted one. And the next thing they knew, they were making you know 10,000 of those widgets and yeah. selling a million dollars of a year. And they're tired of doing it and they want to sell it. And the only accounting they've ever had to do is whatever the IRS needed them to turn, you know, have done correctly to turn in stuff. So they've never seen a P&L or they've never seen a balance statement. They've never seen, you know, some of the stuff you're going to ask for other than your tax returns and bank statements. And yeah. it clicked. Is He's right. You know, I'm turning away a lot of businesses that are diamonds in the rough. Right. And there are companies I found one. I interviewed him recently here on the show that will take, you know, bank statements and tax returns and what you're calling books and put it together in a format that it should be in there for guys like me and other sophisticated buyers to look at and go, okay, well, this isn't, this is a pretty good brand business. Um, I think it's 50, 50 on it. I think if, if I went back to all those companies, I told no, because they didn't have good books. I think some of them would have been, I think some of them would have been run better than they expected or they thought they were run. And uh, many of them were probably run sub part of where they were telling me they were at. <laughs> right. That's when somebody says that's the, the initial reaction you have is somebody doesn't have books is like, uh, you're probably over exaggerating. You don't know. Right. So we assume it's an over exaggeration, not an under exaggeration. So, yeah, that, that's right. Um, but the good news is today there are lots of affordable bookkeepers who can get things in order for you pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes what a buyer will do, and, and Flipper has a, a new really cool feature where you can invite a, a bookkeeper or an advisor or a partner or a banker into the negotiation. So you're on the platform, you're talking about staff, they're starting to share some documentation, and you just click invite user. And so, so what some buyers will do is they'll actually um, utilise their own bookkeeper or accountant. And they'll say, look, give us everything, we'll sort it out so that we can understand it, right? Um, Give us access to your hosting accounts so that we can download all the invoices. Give us access to um, Shopify so that we can rationalize your revenue. And they'll actually end up doing the work for the seller. Um, but that's a patient buyer. That's a that's a buyer who's really hungry for your asset. They can see something between the weeds that looks really good um, and they'll put the effort into doing it. But yeah, I mean, if you, you know, for all of those people listening out there, the good news is that, you know, the market for, buyers is not drying up, regardless of what you might see on the streets and in the public markets. The market for buyers in a private setting for small businesses is likely to get hotter, in my opinion, because they'll look for safer um, safer environments, um, less speculative assets from which to, to put their money. So you've got time. Go and find a bookkeeper or an accountant. Get your stuff in order. And six months to 12 months from now, you've done all the hard yards and you're perfectly suited to sell. Awesome. Well, we are at the top of the hour here. I mean, we're getting really close to the end here. One of the, uh, I, I feel like we covered a lot of stuff, but is, uh, is there anything I missed? If you stepped in my shoes and thought, man, he should have asked me this. What's, what's, what's something I, we, we should have talked about that we, uh, that I might've missed here. Uh, people always ask me what I would buy if I, um, I actually, you know, too busy building and, and running flipper and working with our great team to do great stuff. But often people ask me what I would buy and they, they think that that, that, that lends some insight. Look, I, I don't think you can um, go wrong with a good quality AdSense business. We, we spoke about how established that business model is. Um, and I think for those people starting out, um, if, if you do understand what good quality content looks like, if you know how to read SEMrush um, and assess Google Analytics, then look for... Um, 
small blogs that use AdSense that have positive cash that, that give you a positive cash flow opportunity. And you know that's that's a that's the safest possible asset I can think of buying. I wouldn't say it's passive because I said that there's no such thing as passive. <laughs> that's the safest possible asset to buy and and buy something in your passion. You'll end up waking up tomorrow morning. You'll be more inspired about your work than you've ever been. You'll go to the barbecue on Saturday and Sunday, and you'll say, "I just bought a cooking website." You know I love cooking, and now I've got this website. And it's all about cooking, and I've got people submitting recipes from all over the world. People get inspired by that stuff. So, um, yeah, that's what I would do if I was uh, if I was buying something. It's interesting. Is um, I know a guy who actually had a food blog, and I like, how do you monetize it? He says the restaurants pay me to go there and review their their food. I was like, yeah. you're serious. Like he goes to restaurants, he gets to eat for free, which he, he's a yeah. foodie. He loves eating and yeah. they pay him to do the review, you know, and he's, he's, you know, he's like, the hard part is I have to be honest with him. So there's people who have paid me for reviews. So like, I don't think you want me to post this. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, the, that, that's a great point. And the other thing people forget about is remember what Google's doing with AdSense is they're optimizing for, um, big advertisers to place advertising dollars with them that go on the right websites. And FMCG, Fast Moving Consumer Goods, they are big advertisers. And so if you've got a recipe blog or you've got a blog where you review, you know, food at a restaurant, um, you'll get you'll get um, FMCG companies advertising and Google will place them on your website using their AdSense pixel. So it's a, it's a good, good category to be in. Yeah, I, I like it. Well, I want to thank you for being here. We uh, let's make sure everybody knows how to get a hold of you. Uh, so f- let's do a shout out, Joey. Uh, you said that Flip is great, great resource. He loves Flippa. Thank you, Joey. And then Tony says positive cash flow, SME digital assets, the last uh, asset class apart from commodities that isn't losing. So uh, thank you for being out there submitting your comments. Um, if you guys want to reach out, if you're listening to the show, you can uh, go straight to flippa.com. Uh, you know. Uh, and uh, fill out a comment thing. One of his team members probably will reach out to you and help you out in that way. Or if you want, if you have uh, something, want to reach out, I'm going to post up his LinkedIn, Blake's LinkedIn um, thing. And for you guys listening on the podcast, it's linkedin.com slash in slash Blake, B-L-A-K-E Hutchinson, H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. And uh, it's just the standard linkedin.com slash in slash his name. And you can reach out to him there. Um, famous last question. What can myself or my audience do for you, Blake? Man, what can we do to, to make you, uh, to help you out or, or to help flip out? What, is there anything we can do for you guys? Uh, listen to more podcasts like yours, I reckon, Ron. That would be a, a good tip for your audience, I would have thought. Um, so, you know, shameless plug. We've got a, a podcast called The Exit, and it talks to people who have successfully uh, bought and sold businesses of high value and you can learn a lot from their stories so um go and check out the exit on wherever you get your good podcasts uh spotify or 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 itunes um and i think you learn a lot from resources like that so go and do that i just uh i seen that i watched a couple of them over the last few days i like it and i actually set my production crew i said hey see these guys out here that did exits reach out to them i want to interview some people that have sold a business so uh I'm sure we'll yeah. talk about Flip on those shows too. So I do appreciate your time. Hang out for a few minutes after the show and uh, just for a couple of seconds uh, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be good to go. Thank you, Ron. All right. That's the show, guys. Have a great day. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. 
That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. Uh, suggest a guest or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E. PM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.